Some of you know that I was away last weekend, which was the first weekend when we allowed a few more people to be here present in the sanctuary for the service. So this is my first time in a long time standing here and seeing people in the chairs out there, and it's, it's really good to, to see all of you. One of the books most fully imprinted on my memory from childhood is Goodnight Moon by Margaret Wise Brown. Some of you might have grown up with this also. It's been around for decades. I think we have the 60th anniversary edition at my house, and it still shows up on lots of children's bookshelves. We read it occasionally to little ones in my house as well. In case you're not familiar with this book, it's a gentle series of rhymes saying goodnight to everything in a child's bedroom. Goodnight room, goodnight moon, goodnight cow jumping over the moon, goodnight light and the red balloon, some of you might have seen there's a little parody of this book going around the internet right now using that same unmistakable rhythm. It's sort of an update for the year 2020. Good night, room. Good night, Zoom. Good night, sense of impending doom. <laughs> it still makes me laugh every time I read it because it's really a pretty good summary of the year that we're in, isn't it? spending a whole lot of time at home in our rooms, spending a whole lot of time on Zoom, this program very few of us had even heard of a year ago, and facing down what feels sometimes like a sense of impending doom, the uneasy feeling that we still don't really know what's coming, don't really know what's next. Wilderness was the topic for our congregational retreat a couple of weekends ago, because for so many of us, this particular time feels like a wilderness time a place where so many of the usual supports and routines are gone, where we find ourselves parched and wandering and not able to see all that far ahead. It is a wilderness sort of year. And of course, that's where our readings from the book of Exodus, Exodus have us for several weeks now. We're following the great story of liberation this season, from slavery to the promised land, but the way the Bible tells it, there's not sort of an expressway between the two places. Instead, there's this gaping wilderness and a long, slow, winding path that has to be walked through. Daniel Erlander says that whenever God's people find themselves in the wilderness in the Bible, God sets up a school. It's a way of saying that the biblical wilderness is not simply a barren and difficult place, but also a place to learn. And that's abundantly clear when it comes to the Exodus story. Remember, this is the story of a group of people who have never known freedom, who for generations have known only enslavement and oppression. There is much to learn on their way to truly living as free people. And it takes time, 40 years to be precise. A few weeks into the wilderness, they found themselves faced with this food they'd never seen before, food that lasted only a day before it spoiled. There was only one choice for the hungry travelers, learn to share and to stop hoarding their daily bread. A little later, they found themselves faced with water flowing from a rock in the sandy landscape, and there was only one choice for the thirsty crowds, learn to expect God to provide, learn to trust in God's generous provision for life. All through the wilderness, God is teaching and forming the people. And today we come to a lesson that's of a different kind, Ten Commandments. 
While those other lessons were ones that you could touch, flakes of bread like dew on the ground, water bubbling and flowing from stone, I'm afraid this lesson has a little more of the whiff of a classroom, like chalk and pencil shavings, 10 bullet points to memorize, 10 regulations to follow, listen up, pay attention, take notes. I think that's how we often take the, the Ten Commandments, like this boring old list, something we had to memorize in church school or confirmation class once upon a time, like a dusty set of rules, like a whole bunch of eternal thou shalt nots that are always out there in the ether to remind us of what makes God grumpy. But the way the Bible presents them, they're not boring or dull or constricting. And you can spot this from the very first words. I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The commandments all begin with an announcement of who God is. And this God is one who liberates, who frees. The God who is speaking here is the one who brought the people out of slavery, who made a way where it seemed there was no way who took away the taskmaster's whips and set a wide open future before the people, who freed them. You can't miss the importance of the way the commandments all begin. In Christian circles, we tend to speak about those words as the preamble to the commandments, sort of the warm up. They really begin with the first statement addressed to you. You shall have no other gods before me. But I, I learned this last week that Jews actually understand this somewhat differently. Like Christians, they see Ten Commandments here, though they call them words instead of commandments. And the first word is simply this. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Full stop. That's number one. However you number them, the commandments all begin with the God, the one who frees. But in this way of numbering, the first one is sort of already accomplished, checked off the list. I am yours, says this God. I freed you and brought you out of slavery. I've called you and made you my own. It's good news, right? It means there are, in fact, just nine for us to work on. Of course, there's still plenty there to keep us busy. When you pay attention, though, to this context for, for the commandments, to the story in which they're given, to the way in which they begin, then you notice something I think that it's easy to miss otherwise. These commandments are all about freedom. I know that can seem counterintuitive. We tend to think of freedom as the absence of rules and regulations, and that's kind of what we get here. But remember, these are words given by a liberating God to a bunch of newly freed slaves in the wilderness. They are sort of part of the package of liberation. It's as though God says here, I've just granted you your freedom, and now I'm going to show you how to really keep it. I'm going to show you what truly free life looks like, where trust and wholeness and justice are a reality for each person. You can go through the commandments one by one and look for the ways each enables freedom, both for individuals and for the community as a whole. You shall have no other gods points to a way of life where people are free to live with a stable center with an undivided loyalty placed where that loyalty is really due. You shall not murder points to a world where people are free to live without fear of physical violence or abuse of any kind. You shall not commit adultery points to a world where people are free to settle into relationships of trust and stability and care 
where no one is objectified or used. You shall not covet points to a world where people are free to appreciate what they have, to let go of the constant desire for more and more. Taken as a whole, the commandments paint a picture of what a truly free life, life that's free precisely in its wholehearted commitment to God and to one's neighbors, looks like. Freedom's the thread running through the whole list, even and maybe especially when it comes to that commandment about rest. I know that the Sabbath commandment might not sound like an obvious word of freedom. Where's the liberation in being told what to do with my time? But remember, remember that context back in Egypt. There the Israelites knew only work. They'd been schooled for generations in a way of life where their value was tied exclusively to what they could produce, to how much they could plant or harvest, how many bricks they could make. To be human there was to be a cog in that wheel, to be just part of that system of production. But out here in the wilderness, God means to teach them something else. Yes, work is part of life, but it's far from all of life. And on one day each week, God commands the people to cease and to remember that their value is not finally in how much they produce, in how effective they are, in how well they perform. Their value is in their inherent, unshakable goodness as part of God's good creation. I have to think that out there in the wilderness, this commandment was maybe not an easy one for everybody to accept. I mean, nobody wanted to be hanging out in the desert week after week, year after year, eating manna meal after meal. I have to think there were those who felt that all this felt a bit restless, sort of sitting around for a whole day every week when there was still a promised land out there to find, a new future to keep striving toward. Come on, Moses, I hear these high achievers saying when the Sabbath rolled around again. What is the point in this day to do nothing? Look around. We've got work to do. Nobody wants to stay here. Time is wasting. That's just the point of the Sabbath, though. It rarely feels right to stop being productive for a time, to set aside work that needs to be done, to simply breathe. I have to imagine that for many of us right now, Sabbath isn't on our minds all that much. There's too much to do, too much news to keep up with, too much injustice to confront, too much daily life to tend to. All that might be true, which is why the Sabbath is not a suggestion in the Bible, but a commandment. Something we are called to do not just when it feels right, not just when it fits neatly into a half-hour time slot in our schedule, but also when we feel overwhelmed, when it seems the world won't hold together without our productivity and our effort. This commandment means to free us from precisely that weight, just that anxiety. Breathe, God says. Remember that your life, like each life, is of inestimable value because I made you, because you are mine. The work will be there again tomorrow, and yes, you'll be called back to it then. For this time, your only job is to be. Friends, we all know there is no shortage of messes to face in this wilderness year, but we need to face them as the free people we are. And part of how we do that is by keeping Sabbath, by taking regular, disciplined time to unplug, 
to breathe in the goodness of life, to remember the dignity that is always there at the heart of each person. The commandments are a gift, more to be desired than gold, sweeter than honey, a picture of the rich and full life God has in mind. Even in this wilderness time, may they continue to form each of us for freedom. Amen.